Lakers are in the bubble in Orlando. I'm Bill Oram, and this is the Forum Club, joined by Anthony Slater on loan from the Warriors beat. Anthony, what's going on? Forum Club just sounds like a classy podcast. Just sounds like we're sipping champagne, you know, all that. I wanted this podcast to be called the Oram Club, and they wouldn't they would they wouldn't give me that. They wouldn't give me that that level of cachet to rise to the marquee like that. So the Forum Club wins out. It's but it sounds like it is tied to your name the reason yes obviously there's a laker connection with forum club but it sounds like it is named that because the host is bill orham even if i don't know the origin story you know you could tell me if that's the reason but i tie the forum club name to bill orham personally the origin story yeah there you go pun number one of your pro- I, I, maybe two i don't know <laughs> we've got an hour ahead of us of much more word play but a different kind of play that's happening out there is basketball finally again sort of kind of in ballrooms Exactly, as as all basketball rooms, if you will, number two. So the Lakers are in Orlando. They are at, they are at the what the Grandestino uh, Hotel with the other contenders in in the NBA. They have safely made it in. They've had two or three practices already. And and Slater, I mean, we just have a lot of news, and a lot of things to break down with kind of what's happened in the last week since we last spoke. And really, none bigger than the injury suffered by Rajon Rondo on Sunday, a fractured. Yeah, it's never good to have an injury so early in what I would call training camp, right? You know, I covered the Warriors this year and we got there and day one, it was like uh, Willie Cauley-Stein suddenly had a uh, like broken foot or really, you know, badly sprained foot. And it was like, oh, that's bad. And then Kevon Looney suddenly was out with a hamstring and like that really derailed them going into the season. By opening night, Looney was back, but it was like he wasn't around at all in training camp. They basically didn't have a center. You know, when we talk about the Lakers... You know, this kind of is a training camp. They're trying to prep themselves up. It's almost like a kind of a new team. I know most of the parts are the same, but it's so far removed from what it was. And now Bradley gone and Rondo gone, I guess for six to eight weeks, it sounds like what it'll be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know what's interesting? Uh, You're right, it's not a good sign. And I think it's, you know, maybe a bad omen to have an injury on the second day of training camp. But the setup of this restart in Orlando actually makes the timing of Rondo's injury sort of palatable assuming that they can get through a first round matchup whatever that looks like because I think Rajon Rondo's real value is going to come out when you get into those series against the Clippers or Milwaukee in the finals or whoever's there but for these eight seeding games which he'll almost certainly miss with this injury the first round particularly if it's a Memphis or a New Orleans upstart kind of team I don't think you're going to miss him that badly I think when you're going to miss Rajon Rondo is when the whole thing gets a lot more tactical. So it's going to be interesting to see how he times his re-entry to quarantine because he has to leave the bubble for surgery. He's going to do the first part of his rehab outside of Orlando. So when is he going to reintegrate with the team? Is he going to come in, quarantine, then pick up his rehab and then be available perhaps in a second round matchup? That feels a little condensed to me, maybe a little optimistic, but... One thing Frank Vogel said on the Zoom conference call, the Lakers are absolutely counting on getting him back for their postseason run. Yeah, one problem I foresee, though, is how important training camp practices are compared to middle of a series practices for a body. You know, if we're talking mm-hmm. about Rajon Rondo coming back, let's say September, like it's not like he just missed six to eight weeks. He won't have played really good competitive basketball for like six months because yeah. March was the last time he did. And we all know it's not like the Lakers play game two against, let's say, the Rockets in the second round. And then between games two and three, they're like, all right, get on the court and let's 
scrimmage, baby, like they're doing right now. You know, right. this is the time for all these guys to get into shape. And Rajon Rondo won't get it. It's why it's always really bad to get injured during training camp because those are the best practices of the season. Right now, the Lakers are having the best practices of Orlando. And I'm not concerned about him compared to maybe some other guys, you know, maybe like a Deion Waiters. You know, you really need to integrate him. Rondo's kind of already always in shape and he kind of plays. And he's a supplementary piece, and you know he kind of plays his own Rondo game that I don't necessarily am too concerned on him reintegrating himself. But it's just the fact that now 45 minutes to me are off the table, right? Bradley was a 25-ish minute yep. per night guy, and Rondo was 20. And you got to fill that somehow. And I do think when the games matter, you fill it with your mate, right? You just give, hey, LeBron, you're getting five extra minutes. Hey, Danny Green, you're getting five extra minutes. Pope, you're getting 10 extra. Caruso, you're getting four. You start to fill that gap. But at some point, you got to put somebody in the back end. And those options are J.R. Smith, who hasn't played since, what, November 2018 mm-hmm. or something like that? And mm-hmm. then Deion Waiters, who 2019, yeah. is a wild card. And then Quinn Cook is there, too, somebody you're familiar with, yes, yes. Uh, but hasn't really made his mark with, with the Lakers. I mean, people point to the way he stepped up when Steph was injured a couple years ago and, and having some big moments. But uh, I think it's telling that you, as you kind of did the rundown of, of guys who might step up to fill the, the Rondo-Bradley void, Cook wasn't somebody you mentioned. So Cook, this would have been two years ago, Steph gets a bad MCL. Uh, right in like mid-March, late March. Cook did come in and he was like the perfect type of point guard. And you know, maybe this does fit the Lakers in some ways, but he wasn't bringing the ball up the court and running a pick and roll ever. It was like, you know, Kevin Durant had it. Draymond yeah. Green was basically the point guard. Quinn Cook sat on the wing and when he was open, and he was open a lot because, you know, defenses were guarding the main Warriors, he would hit threes. And he had a couple nice nights. And yes, he started at point guard up until the playoffs. And this is taking you in the mind of a Steve Kerr, Playoffs hit, game one, Quinn Cook out of the starting lineup, Andre Iguodala into the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Because like playoff basketball is different. Quinn Cook was suddenly getting targeted. You know, uh, I remember Quinn Cook would play in that Spurs first round. And like Spurs weren't a challenge to the Warriors. I think it was a 4-1, pretty easy kind of disposal. And this was Tony Parker, very late career Tony Parker. But Tony Parker kind of gave it to Quinn Cook just because they were kind of targeting him more. And then by the time they got to like a Houston series or deeper in the playoffs... Guys like Quinn Cook at his size with his defensive incapabilities, whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's not for lack of effort. He just doesn't have the size and the ability defensively. They just get targeted. Maybe he can find a role, you know, next to LeBron, but just knowing the way Frank Vogel probably thinks as a defensive-minded guy who's been in playoff series with, like, the Indiana Pacers back in the day, Cook just doesn't seem like a playoff defender. Yeah, and the thing the Lakers have struggled with is not having good matchups for bigger guards. You're going to run into some of those in the playoffs, and Quinn Cook is a guy who you just is going to get steamrolled by you know, whoever it is, whether it's Damian Lillard in the first round, Westbrook. It just keeps coming in the West, and so I would worry about um, how the Lakers would use him defensively when you already have LeBron maybe not until the finals isn't taken on those top end assignments and you don't have your best on-ball defender in Avery Bradley. I just have a harder time seeing a spot for, for Quinn Cook. Yeah. Also, you know, the lack of the ball handling creation is like one of the main parts, I think, of this topic with Rondo. Where like, Rondo's really not that good anymore, but one of the things he can do that the other off-ball guards on the Lakers, purposely, I think they, they made it this way because of LeBron, was like, Danny Green, 
Never, you know, never in a pick and roll, never playmaking. Oh, Danny Green has dribbled the ball three times all season. <laughs> yes, exactly. And Pope, not really. Pope can kind of do it if he's like slashing off ball. Right. He'll catch and like do a little bit, but he's not, you know, initiating up top. J.R. Smith, no, he's never been that with LeBron. He's completely a standstill catch and shoot guy, which LeBron likes. Like they have useful skills. It's just they don't have the skill of like being able to initiate. Alex Caruso can't. Rondo could, and that's why Rondo played most of the non-LeBron minutes, right? So now who is the guard that plays the most non-LeBron minutes. Frank Vogel mentioned it on the call. Like, Deion Waiters, I think, has a clearer path to playing time than most people want to believe. I think I think that's absolutely true. I mean, I think Alex Caruso gets a shot here. He's I think he's a little bit better at initiating the offense than you're giving him credit for, but not a lot. That is not what makes him valuable. That is not his primary function with this team. And so I think as a secondary ball handler, maybe, but as the guy you have on the floor with that second unit, I don't see it. And so that's where Dion Waiters maybe does step into those into those non-LeBron minutes. And you actually did a really interesting piece that's up at The Athletic where you and John Hollinger sat around and rapped about the Lakers a little bit. And one of the things he talked about was a lineup with Anthony Davis with the rest of the bench guys where, where basically you put a lot of the playmaking responsibilities in Anthony Davis's hands. What did you think of that one? Yeah, I like it a little bit. It's good in the half court. You know, where you kind of just like dump it down. Like Davis is a bit slower, but I have no problem. And and maybe that's where a guy like Caruso can like, look, he's fine. He can like dribble up the court. It's not like he can't break a little bit of pressure. And then you kind of, and you know, you throw it to him at the elbow and, and then Caruso goes and kind of spots up. And I even saw that in some of the, those Lakers games I did watch. I mean, that might end up being the answer. And part of what I think Hollinger was arguing about in that, I mean, this is what the playoffs are about too. When you get into the, you know, let's say a Clipper series, you might just play eight guys. We are talking about ninth, 10th, 11th men who matter more in these seeding games, matter more in the regular season, might matter more against the Blazers or the Pelicans in the first round. But if it's against the Clippers and you're down 2-1, LeBron's going to play 42 minutes. Davis is going to play 42. And you're only going to play off the bench probably like, you know, Kuzma, Howard, and one other guard, basically Caruso. Well, and and you're thinking by then, ideally, you're going to have Rondo back in the mix by then. I know fans get really frustrated with Rajon Rondo, but of those eight, nine guys you're playing in that scenario, you need the ball handling, playmaking, Rajon Rondo. It's just the piece you are missing, and he is still better at that part of the job than any of these other people we're talking about, including Deion Waiters, who is not setting guys up in the same way Rondo is. So ideally, I think, just to get back to Rondo and his timeline, ideally you're getting him back in the fold early in a second round type series. You're getting him some action when you can, and then you're you're working him up to speed for the conference finals against the Clippers when I think he would be most useful. And because if you go back, he didn't play at the beginning of the regular season. He wasn't in the season opener. And the Clippers gave the Lakers a ton of trouble by putting Pat Beverly on LeBron 94 feet. And they didn't have that secondary ball handler who could bring the ball up the court with that first unit. And not that Rondo should be starting, but there wasn't that guard to come in and be that secondary ball handler with LeBron. And they are going to need that, particularly against a team that plays defense the way the Clippers do. You mentioned the Hollinger piece. He mentioned like the Rockets maybe as like an ideal second round opponent in that sense of like the Rockets, they're more lazy defensively and like they won't pressure you. They want the game to be slow. They're trying to conserve James Harden. It's very much the smart tactical play from the Rockets side, but that doesn't necessarily poke at maybe the Lakers' weaknesses that we're talking about. I kind of don't think they want Houston overall, just because I think Houston's more dangerous than some of the other options. I mean, maybe we can talk full path right now if you want, but like, who do you think the Lakers should and shouldn't want round one, round two before they even get to the Clippers? I mean, you don't want Portland in the first round. 
because Portland to me is just the, the far scarier, more veteran team. They suddenly have a lot more size. They get a lot more interesting. You can't dominate them in the same way in the interior that you can most teams with JaVale and Dwight Howard because the Blazers, if Nurkic is up to speed, and I think that's a big question considering he hasn't played in more than a year, and Zach Collins and Hassan Whiteside, who has been certainly a presence for them, that's three seven-footers that match the Lakers' interior presence. And that has been a huge advantage for the Lakers. By the way, they got a weird roster because you're right. Like, you know, if they're healthy and suddenly they do have Collins and Nurkic back, like, wow, they're they're loaded big-wise. But you know they're going to have to start at the small forward, right? Gary Trent Jr.? Or it sounds like they're going to start Carmelo. Oh, interesting, um, yeah. And, you know, because yeah. Ariza opted out. And right, like, right, right. You know, you're probably right in the sense of, like, you know, Portland just because of Lillard McCollum and, and some of the big issues is more of a threat than New Orleans. Or where maybe two years from now New Orleans will be a large threat. For sure. But it makes me be like, ah, oh, you know, the Lakers are pretty good in that for you know what i mean like i don't i don't think they're losing the first round against anybody i just think lebron would dominate because they have no wings in that series right. but but you're correct like like portland probably is like the thorniest round one because lillard could have a couple 45 point nights basically i don't want to need to play lebron 45 minutes to get through the first round against a, a motivated angry portland team you know whereas memphis that's cute like they are definitely a team on the rise in five years we might be looking at a western conference dominated by memphis and new orleans which i think would be great but right now i mean those are both upstart teams that are are still finding their way zion's played 15 games so i you know those would both be entertaining series i think they would both be short series portland i'm not so sure would be a short series i don't think the nba loves your dream of a memphis new orleans dominated western conference they can't get those stars the bigger markets. listen oklahoma boy i love i love small markets i like small market teams like succeeding i personally as a product of a small market who worked in a small market also previously i like when small market teams stick it to the rest of the league i know laker fans don't want to hear that from me but you know i like that milwaukee is head and shoulders better than anyone else in the east right now by the way nothing screams west coast basketball like memphis new orleans from staples Center. No, <laughs> no never mind we're like you know in new orleans right now for the western conference finals the smoothie king center yeah smoothie king center and the grindhouse which while fine is not a west coast beacon in memphis tennessee which is fine it's fine. I mean, listen, by the way, none of this is going to be happening from the grindhouse for another two years because everything's going to be happening in Orlando. Hey, don't get me wrong. I, I covered two Goliath Western Conference playoff series between the Oklahoma City Thunder and San Antonio Spurs. It was going right up I-35 in the middle of Oklahoma, Texas. So the Western Conference is kind of just a name. It's not necessarily fits the side of the country, you know, cleanly. Would you drive that? Yeah, nine hours, particularly because I worked at the Oklahoma and it was a very like familial environment within the Oklahoma News Department and we would like rent a Denali and like have our two writers me and Darnell our columnist Barry or Jenny we would get like the photog and the videographer and we would just pile in a Denali and drive up and down like nine hours and you know what's crazy one time in the in the regular season and this is when I just traveled by myself I had a flight from Oklahoma City to San Antonio the Thunder was going to play back to back after a home game and there was an ice storm that hit overnight. And if anyone knows, like, ice storms in Oklahoma, like, that gets real sketchy. They had to cancel all the flights. So I drove, like, this convertible rental nine hours in the middle of the night to get to a back-to-back through, like, a pending ice storm through different parts of Texas. It was weird. That was, uh, sorry, you've brought me back to a strange time. I just want to be clear for people listening that this is not how NBA beat writers typically travel. I mean, if there was a flight from... Oakland to Sacramento, most writers would take it. 
Am I wrong? Yeah, I didn't know there was, but somebody this year who had come into San Francisco for like, it was the first time, I can't even remember who the writer was, but they had booked a flight from SFO to SAC. They like found one, which was like, first of all, I don't even know that exists. And I'm like, second of all, you know, that's like, you know, 90 minutes up the road, you can just drive it. And they had no idea. Yeah. Well, I I mean, how many times did you drive down to LA from San Francisco to do a Laker game? Never. I love that early morning flight to Burbank, by the way, I always fly to Burbank. Nothing says uh, the glamorous life of a beat writer like like five hours on I-5 going over the grapevine. I think that's better than uh, Oklahoma City to San Antonio. And Oklahoma City to Memphis. I've covered a couple of those series. We drove that. That's only seven hours. Jeez. Got to go through Arkansas, Little Rock. It's interesting. Arkansas is one of the seven states I've never been to. I would drive that once for that sake. Although, you know, the thing is, I've been to Memphis so many times, and I could have just gone across the river to West Memphis in Arkansas, and I never did it. So I must not be that interested in getting to Arkansas. Interesting. Let's pause to tell you about the Athletic NBA show. With the return of the NBA season coming fast, The Athletic has launched The Athletic NBA Show, a daily podcast combining some of your favorite basketball voices under one umbrella. David Aldridge, Ethan Strauss, Marcus Thompson, Zach Harper, Sam Amick, and more, along with a rotating cast of beat writers from around the league. Every day features a new show covering everything from insider news to cultural issues and deep dives into in-game analytics. So before things tip off later this month, make sure you subscribe to The Athletics NBA Show, available now wherever you get your podcast. Second round series. Who? <laughs> what are we here to talk about? Yes. I don't know. I just think they shouldn't want Houston in the second round. I think Houston's a sleeper in this. I think the motivation level this year for Houston was very high. It's a bunch of vets who've sniffed potential titles. Yep. I've been there. Houston was a sliver away a couple times. Should have probably got over the top. So that's Houston's entire core. And now you add Russell Westbrook into that, and he has sniffed it a couple times right. very closely. And they're all kind of very late stages of their prime. Now, I don't know how particularly motivated they are in the Orlando bubble, but right. if they believe this is their last good chance at a title, which I kind of starting to think it is, they're dangerous to me. They're physical. It's a weird style, but it can work in the playoffs. They were as close as anybody to upsetting the Warriors, a healthy Kevin Durant era Warriors team. They're dangerous to me. They're a lot more dangerous than like a Nuggets, yeah, even a Utah. Mavericks or a Thunder, a Utah. Yeah. I don't know if you feel the same way. You want to get to the Clippers in the conference finals as unchallenged as possible. I think you want to make those easier miles on your stars. And and to me, the the Rockets are a team that are going to make you work for it more than anyone else. They're the tough, the tougher matchup. I think they are harder to scheme for defensively with the way they obviously play small. And then their guards are, are tough covers for anybody in the league. But the Lakers just lost their best on-ball defensive guard. The Rockets, to me, are a team you want to avoid just because they are dangerous. And when they get hot... They are unbeatable. Yeah, they try to outmath you almost. And listen, the Lakers could end up playing almost anybody in this playoff in the second round because of how tightly bunched those teams are two through six. There's four games separating the Clippers at two down to the Rockets at six. And so I think those teams could could get rearranged any combination of ways. You know, it could be Oklahoma City. It could be Utah. It could be Denver. It could be Houston. Dallas certainly is um, within range of getting into the top six. So it, it's really pick your poison from the entire gamut of teams because it could be any of them. Yeah, I just think Houston is the most dangerous of those poisons by far. But, you know, we'll see. What else from Orlando? You mentioned, like, the news this week. Were you surprised that he's basically announcing Pope as the starter already? Or I mean, it was expected. But... Yeah, I mean, I thought it was... I was surprised. I was surprised that he went as far as he did, which was to say that his... How did he say it? He's like, basically, like, that's where I'm at right now is KCP, that it'll be an open competition, but only in the sense that it's always an open competition. You always want to have guys competing for spots, but I thought it was interesting. I thought it was notable, but I thought it's also probably better to get that out of the way. 
right? Let's not like go through the charade of this training campus to establish who's going to step in and and start for for Avery Bradley. I think the Lakers were something like 17 and 3 with KCP as a starter this year. It's something just a ridiculous number. He started a lot in the first half of the season. Avery Bradley did miss a lot of time and then came off the bench when he was um, coming back from his injury. KCP's familiar with that lineup. He is a very good defender, a different defender from Avery Bradley, but the guy who probably does the most at that spot, who shoots it, shoots it better than Alex Caruso. He can defend, you know, guys really one through three and a half. So to me, he's the most versatile, most logical choice. And Alex Caruso... He's more of a bench option. He's just a bench player. You could have made an argument for him there, I think, but I think you you would be trying to outthink yourself a little bit. Alex Caruso has been very, very good in his role. You can keep that unit more or less together and you kind of move forward. I mean, I, I think I said this last week on the podcast, but if there was a position where you felt like you could absorb the loss of a player, it was kind of at that defensive wing spot. The Lakers did a good job of really, really bolstering that kind of player in the offseason. They signed four or five guys who fit that MO. And so you lose one of them you have several more. You don't have that with the ball handling guards. And that's what makes Rondo's absence to me even more significant than Avery Bradley's with the exception that it's not for the rest of the season. Yeah. To me with Caruso, he's just the type of guy you want off the bench. He kind of can inject some life suddenly with two minutes left in the first quarter. He's, mm-hmm. he's coming in and he's kind of scattering around to, to rejuvenate uh, just the energy of the game. And he's the type of guy who I think if suddenly you you gave him that burden of like starting lineup tag, there's just more pressure to it. And suddenly, you know, he misses his first four threes of the playoffs as a starter. And he's got, you know, like the criticism comes a little bit. I think having him as kind of the plucky bench guy that like the fan base even says, well, why isn't he starting? Like that is more him than a starter. Where Pope, to me, Pope's a guy who can miss the first seven threes he takes in the first round and people will be mad at him and he's just going to kind of shoot you know five more threes the next game and not care as much well if there's one thing Kadavius Caldwell Pope has gotten good at in his Lakers tenure this is his third year is absorbing criticism from the fan base because this is really the first year that people have been like oh wait KCP actually is pretty good because the first two years of the contract and the first month of this season he was so streaky that he was a really hard guy I think for fans to root for but after the first two three weeks of the season he turned a corner Dwight Howard came to his defense in the in the comments on Instagram and all of a sudden we've seen a new KCP yeah that's a quality the quality of not giving a blank you know that's I I believe that's the Russell West say it you coward yeah I guess I can I've been blessed with a talented not to give a fuck (laughs) no you know I mean it's a benefit even if sometimes you know it can be a negative guess what they got a couple other guys that have that same quality with waiters and and JR anything else that has emerged from Orlando in the few days that we've seen these zoom calls from down there not really the one thing i did want to get to though going back to your hollinger piece which again is great i would encourage everyone to read it john has great perspective on the league obviously and i thought you you took him down some really interesting roads one of them being the future of kyle kuzma and I know this is a little bit long-term, but John talked about the options for a contract extension for him this summer, but obviously more like this cold autumn. October, I guess it's going to be. But what did you take away from that? I mean, he talked about what he sees Kyle Kuzma's value within a salary cap structure versus how Kyle Kuzma might view himself. And based on kind of that conversation, do you foresee any any problems between the Lakers and Kyle Kuzma moving forward? Maybe. Um, I mean, these playoffs obviously matter. It's weird because we are in the summer and it's been such a pause that like it's a, it's a very good time to talk about these future questions and contract disputes that might come up. But before we even get to the point that they can extend Kuzma, he's going to have a playoff run, which he's never had, where 
you know, what he does there changes his value, right? If he has a great playoffs, like, for, you know, suddenly he might be sitting there like, give me a max extension type thing. Or if, you know, he's basically played off the floor and some of his issues remain and he can't shoot the three and, you know, whatever happens in Orlando, then it's even diminished further. But it is an interesting point. You know, Hollinger's point is correct where he, you know, whatever, you know, gadget he plugs his value ratings in he had Kyle Kuzma his value as like a four years like 6.7 million per year type deal so you know let's say that's like four for 28 seven or something like that which yeah I don't think Kyle Kuzma is gonna be like yeah sure Lakers I'll take like a four for 27 for a guy who after his rookie year probably thought he was definitely heading towards like max rookie extension yeah he's like where's my 80 million yeah yeah exactly so to me, like if Kuzma really is willing to take what his like market value right now after two kind of disappointing seasons would tell you, I think the Lakers would be good to lock that in. But I think it's pretty obvious Kuzma probably won't take that. So the Lakers do kind of have a 365-day waiting period or however long it ends up being, you know, from one offseason to the next. And I do expect it to get to restricted free agency range. And then, so then it'll all come down to next season, really for Kuzma and the growth he'll show there you know if they don't do the extension this summer the Lakers are so clean on the books after next season because they signed everyone this offseason almost basically to like two-year deals they will be able to match anything Kuzma gets and then it'll be on Kuzma to go you know show us that you can get a big offer essentially that's kind of where I'm at with it yeah you know and the Lakers you know, did that dance even a couple of years ago with Julius Randle where and that was the summer they got LeBron and they ended up renouncing Randle but Randle who you know had a certain they kind of did the dance over the the contract extension in the fall ultimately end up not coming to an agreement he goes originally to restricted free agency the Lakers are putting their roster together around LeBron they renounce Randle and he goes and gets like nine million dollars from New Orleans and I don't think that was what he was expecting there either but I guess it all comes around he got his he got his big payday from the Knicks a year later yeah Kuzma's a swing player in these playoffs man I it's interesting I'm curious what he does because I mentioned a little in that piece but like to me if he can become what the best version of himself he fits playoff basketball he fits modern NBA he fits the you know to me uh, that LeBron Kuzma Davis front line is like sounds so appealing if you just think about the best version of Kyle Kuzma the guy who can come off the bench and light it up and could theoretically guard you know several wings and guards but he just has not been that so to me like him becoming that might be the answer of do they get by the Clippers and beat the Bucks or do they not that's probably concerning to some you know laker fans of like uh like is the title chances relying on kuzma taking this next step or not you know what's interesting is because you just said that he could be the key to beating the clippers and for almost the entirety of the season that we had up until let's say march 10th for the vast majority of that i was very concerned about the lakers ability to get past the clippers in the playoffs i thought the clippers stars you know certainly toe-to-toe with the lakers if not even a slight edge i think now i'm flip-flopped a little bit on that but the clippers bench depth just everything about the clippers just felt more ready for you know, a finals run than the Lakers. But right before the shutdown, the Lakers go on a winning streak. They beat all the top teams in the East, Boston, Philly. They beat the Clippers on a Saturday or on a Friday. They beat the Bucks on a Sunday, lose a close one to the Nets in a letdown game on a Tuesday, and then the season ends on Wednesday. But by beating the Clippers and Bucks essentially back to back, it felt like this huge arrival, right? Like, oh, that's the late and the yeah. Lakers kind of become everyone starts to say they are now the favorites because they beat the Clippers and Bucks in one weekend. For me, as an observer of this Lakers team, that was the first time where I said su- I suddenly was sold on the Lakers as championship favorites. 
And because that's really our last view of them, you know, for four months, that's sort of become ingrained and, and become calcified. The Lakers are championship favorites. But I don't think it really happened until that weekend. But as I think there has been sort of this momentum build where because that was the case, it just you just think the Lakers are the favorites to win this thing. In your Hollinger piece, he said he liked the Lakers' chances but not as favorites, but just among a group of favorites. Sounds and, like he's higher on Bucks and Clippers. And I don't think that's wrong. I think that we have to be honest about what this Lakers team's flaws are. And that includes, you know, their, their depth. A lot of questions about their depth. And it, so much of this is going to come down to how many times the Lakers superstars can beat the other team's superstars. Because I don't think there's any question that the Clippers have a better bench than the Lakers. I mean, is, is that up for debate? No, there's this balancing conversation where it's like, look, Avery Bradley's not the difference between winning a title or not. But then it's like, you know, you start chipping off the best player on the team and the ninth best player on the team. And you're talking about a Clippers team that that is their strength, depth. Like that starts to hurt a team. You start to puncture them. Yes, you did not take LeBron James or Anthony Davis away. But they got worse. Like the Clippers aren't missing anybody, right? Like, am no. I forgetting somebody? No. Not, not that, yeah, not, like, not I think Landry Shamit tested positive. I think, didn't he announce that? Maybe. Mm-hmm. But I th- but he'll still, sounds like he'll be there when it right. matters. And then as far as the Bucks go, to me, and you know, you'd always, you always deal with this stuff when you're covering the West playoffs. You always knew LeBron and the Cavs were going to be there, but it was always like, the Warriors are probably the better team, but they got to go through a much tougher path where the Bucks are probably going to play like the Raptors or the Celtics. Lakers or Clippers, whoever wins, had to have played each other. And that just makes it harder to get there. It's almost trying to win two finals instead of winning one final. Let's take a quick timeout to tell you about Hawthorne. Smelling good is important. Hawthorne smells really good. Getting Hawthorne cologne is so easy. Here's how it works. Take a quick two-minute quiz and Hawthorne tells you the two colognes that are best for you. One for work and one for play. Totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co. And use promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co. And use promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. For the Clippers, if they get through the Lakers, your reward is to go play Giannis, Eric Bledsoe, Chris Middleton, and Brooke Lopez. I mean that is that is a juggernaut without even getting down into some of their some of their other you know really good complementary pieces in you know Divincenzo and George Hill and whoever else I'm forgetting and I think the only point we're trying to make here Anthony is that this is not the Lakers playoffs to lose and I think for those of us who have kind of immersed ourselves in in the world of Lakerdom it can start to feel that way because they have LeBron and they have Anthony Davis and before he got hurt Rondo came back looking like the Hulk and you kind of start to buy into it but then when you take a step back and look at the bigger picture I would be surprised if it wasn't one of those three teams to win the title but I couldn't tell you with any confidence which of those three teams has the best chance yeah well it's interesting like the Lakers have set themselves up well with this top seed you know and that's Mm -hmm. part of the mystique you're kind of talking about is they're five and a half up in the west with now eight games to play instead of what it would have been like 17 so they should be able to really kind of cruise in the seeding games without having to like if you don't care as much about the games you kind of can't show a weakness so i don't think we're going to really see a weakness up until the playoffs then i think they're going to kind of cruise in round one and then really round two maybe you know again it depends on who they're playing but we could view them favorites 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 because we feel like they're playing well and then suddenly Kawhi in game one of the conference finals goes off and the Clippers are up 1-0 and you're like, uh-oh, they're in trouble. And we're saying, that, at least I am, saying that they're favorites because they they were good for three days 
four months ago. In the regular season, too. Right. At home. Although, you know, Clippers are technically at home, too. But, like, you know, remember, Milwaukee beat them in uh, Milwaukee, as you know. Yeah. You know what's interesting? It's not that huge of a leap that something could happen where the, the Clippers are that matchup in the second round. I mean, right now, the Clippers are closer to being fourth in the West than they are to being yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. How far out of, I haven't looked at the standings, how many yeah, games is four behind them? So the Jazz are in fourth, and they are three games behind the Clippers. I don't see the Jazz catching the Clippers, but if the Clippers were to use the eight seeding games more as you know a preseason, Kawhi like the Lakers only plays are, four. Paul George right. plays four. They right. lose the Lakers that first game. If I'm the Clippers, I might rather have the Lakers in the second round. You're not sure they're going to get Rondo back by then. Rondo helps them, particularly against the Clippers, as we've seen. I don't know. That That's an interesting wrinkle to me. Yeah, if I'm the Lakers or Clippers, I'm not playing seeding games. Like, Or I don't mean like the seeding. I'm just, I'm not playing like... I'm not having a ploy when I Sorry, guys, we're sitting these ones out. We're not yeah, playing. I'm just going to go play. And like, how, however yeah. it is to, that I feel like will get my team the readiest for the yeah. playoffs, that's what I'm doing. And whatever seat I am, I am. Because I think they're both good enough to, it's like, whoever, line it up. We think we'll beat them. And I think that will end up with them not being on the same side of the bracket. And I think it will end up with them in the conference finals against each other. I ultimately agree with you. But I think that... Um, Again, and and because we just have no idea what this is going to look like or what there will be some abnormalities with yes. with teams winning, teams losing, players suddenly not being there for two weeks, and the team won't say why. Um, you know, whatever whatever that all looks like. But I do think that, um, and I've said this a million times, and maybe I'll end up being wrong, but I just think this whole thing is ripe for some form of chaos. I actually wanted to. Do, uh... You know, moving a bit from the Lakers to what you're talking about, Orlando itself and the campus, I've been encouraged. You know, a week ago we talked about just like the uncertainty of it all and how important the first two weeks of the setup and making sure the players are happy and making sure, you know, an outbreak hadn't just like basically been brought into campus. Uh, And the fact that only two players tested positive early and were kind of immediately quarantined, the fact that they've caught, you know, they caught Westbrook and clearly some other players who haven't necessarily been identified who weren't allowed in the bubble yet because they tested positive beforehand. And then the fact that it does seem like most of the people there, coaches, players, media members, are genuinely impressed with all the health precautions. It seems to me it's going well so far. I agree. And I asked Frank Vogel this yesterday because I think you could convince yourself, well, you've got two players in quarantine who tested positive inside the bubble. You've got two more players who are you know, just roaming the campus and accidentally breaking the, the perimeter of the bubble and coming back to their rooms this is these are signs that there are there are holes in the system but the fact that you are identifying players who have, are are positive before they go to Orlando a la Russell Westbrook the fact that you are you're catching these positive tests while these other two players are still in quarantine to me is evidence that the system is working and now it's very it's very early but presumably it is going to be less and less likely for people who are in and stay in the bubble to contract the virus, I am also encouraged. I, I just think that we've what we've seen so far is that it is working. The numbers are low. There is an incubation period where you can kind of slip through the cracks, but that's why there's that quarantine period. Yeah. And, you know, there was obviously some first night jokes about the food because I feel like people were going in of like, you know, how can we poke holes in this? And, you know, like, look like I think it was somebody on the Nuggets got their first meal and it looked 
you know, not that appetizing. That would be the Lakers' first free agent signing of the 2019 offseason, Troy Daniels. There you go. Uh, that didn't work out well. But since then, I don't, I, you know, all the videos and pictures and like I watch a Matisse Thibel like nine minute vlog. He's like an, actually an unbelievable videographer for some reason. He was like edited it really well. But like, you know, all the visions that I'm seeing into this bubble seem pretty solid. You know, it it's seems nice. Like, yeah. I'm it nice, nice. As nice as it could have been. Right. And as safe as it probably could have been, you know. So, and even it seems like anyone that was criticizing it, like that has calmed down. Those first couple of days it was, but I don't know. I, I'm encouraged that this thing might actually get off the ground more than I was. I am I'm right there with you. And, you know, I think there's a lot of aspects of this. No, it's not going to be the same as a standard NBA road trip. The accommodations aren't going to be the same. There is no Disney hotel that is the same as the, the Four Seasons. It just, it, you know, there might be some rooms that are to that level, but there's not an entire resort hotel that is going to check the same luxury boxes. But, you know, I think also, especially the players that we've talked to and, and the guys who are on the Lakers and on other contenders have been able to sort of embrace that and say, you know, we're here to play basketball. We are here with a basketball motive. And, you know, if, if that means the room is a little bit smaller or the food is a little less glamorous for the first few days while we're in quarantine, it's a pretty small price to pay. The people I worry about, by the way, are our media brethren. Because they didn't tra- travel with teams, it's not a 36-hour quarantine. It is a seven-day quarantine in their rooms. I don't know what to expect when, like, Joe Varden emerges from his room. How about, like, the 10-day quarantine they put on, like, Bruno Cabalco because oh, he yeah. got Uber Eats? And oh, that my was, God. You know... That also signals to me why they're taking it serious. Yeah, I think another another really good sign. And, and you know, it's I, I think it'll be interesting to see the reaction if and when it's not Bruno Caboclo or or Rashawn Holmes, but it becomes, you know, a a star player. You're saying when Anthony Davis goes out before game two of the West Finals to get Uber Eats, they're going to be like, Anthony, like, no, we didn't see this, but get back in your room. When it becomes clear that Anthony Davis has to quarantine for 10, for 10 days in the middle of the conference finals because of a similar transgression, uh, will, will people be celebrating it in the same way? I, I, think, I, so. I think part of what they're doing now, particularly with the Bruno Caboclos of the world, are making, number one, kind of making examples out of people while games aren't being missed. You know, they're mm-hmm. still, what are we, still 10 days away from scrimmages mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, however many days away from seeding games. And they're just, they're laying down very strict laws now. And I think they will loosen as bodies are sent off campus. Because we got to remember, once the seeding games are done, what, that's six teams out. Once, and then you just have it every two weeks from there. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll probably be loosened. They're going to get feedback from players, what they like, what they don't like, that type of stuff. The players still rule this league, so they'll kind of end up ruling the bubble too. But I don't think the NBA mind's going, hey, Bruno, you're going to have to sit in your room for 10 days so the world knows that we're taking it serious. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and listen, I think I think when we heard Bruno Caboclo over Sean Holmes, 10 days of more of quarantine, you know, I took that seriously. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to wear my mask in my living room just in case Adam Silver, like, you, you know, pop pops in. So, you know, our Mark, our guy, Mark Medina probably is just shuddering in his room right now. Like, oh, I'm, I am not leaving now. Mark Medina, I think is, um, is, is the perfect person to take, to take this quarantine seriously. So, um, I'm sure that he is, he, like all of the members of the media are, um, are, are certainly sheltering in place. I saw Ben Golliver doing laps in his room back and forth. Ben from the Washington Post. Joe Varden, our colleague, said that he was running. He ran for 20 straight minutes 
back and forth in his room. Like all these people are like, I'm working out in, in my in my seven day quarantine in the room. I'd be like, no. Netflix, room service. They would have to like airlift me out of the room after seven days. Not yeah, through that door. It'd be strange. We're, we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about some games next week, right? I we're, mean, at least the lead up close. to some games, we're, some we're scrimmages. Getting close. Are we gonna be able to watch? They what are they playing? Mavericks is it July twenty third? Yeah. So that's next Thursday. So we'll be talking next Tuesday. Are we gonna be able to watch the scrimmages? Do we know that for sure yet? My understanding was that um, Spectrum Sportsnet in LA will be carrying the scrimmages. Um, that Very was good. that was the thing I heard. I don't know how that extends beyond the Los Angeles market. I got league pass. I got all the uh, gadgets, and you know, like I'd have to assume people are going to want to see uh, the league is going to want to see LeBron v Luca, even if it's a scrimmage. Yeah, or just any type of live sports because that's what the entire you know sports TV conglomerate has been missing for however many months we're at now so i would have to think it's on and i you know next week we could talk a little game strategy type stuff it'll be it'll be strange to, to do once again i don't know if i remember how it's scrimmages for us too it's scrimmages for us too. Yeah, it's, the, it's it's the preseason for everybody they say all right slater well this has been a lot of fun we are going to be back next week like you said we'll be talking about games obviously we'll have we'll know even more about how the bubble is working and how the league is handling its new setup we'll look forward to talking about it then until next week i'm bill Oram. For Anthony Slater, this has been the Forum Club. Thank you for listening.